Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. As haymakers gear up for their busy season, we thought it'd be a good time to talk about some of the spring tools that you can use trying to get hay put up, and that's to say baling high moisture hay, baleage or silage, whatever you call it. Today, I'm excited to invite Boyd Quinley to the podcast. Boyd comes to us from Vermeer Corporation and is a territory manager for the Texas area. Welcome, Boyd. Good to be here, John. Like I said, my name is Boyd Quinley. I'm a territory manager in the central and the southern part of Texas uh, for Vermeer. Been with Vermeer for seven years now. I uh, had the opportunity to work in, in several different territories um, and just come back to Texas here and looking forward to a good hay season. Can you take me through your history in the hay and forage industry? Sure, sure. So I've got a hay and cattle background. I've been in the cattle business, put up hay. The real opportunity I got was before I worked for Vermeer, worked for several uh, large dairies in the area putting up, uh, you know, high quality silage hay. Uh, and, and the good part about that is I had the ability to learn, um, you know, what quality really meant when you're talking about putting up hay and how that quality goes into feeding cattle. So, uh, you know, I took that knowledge, kind of ran with it and went to the equipment side. Um, we, we used Vermeer equipment and it, um, I was passionate enough about that that I went to work for Vermeer. For producers stressing about getting hay put up in narrow weather windows, baleage or silage, haylage, again, whatever you want to call it, is a fairly good tool. Can you take me through that a little bit? Weather plays the biggest issue with hay producers. It has for years. And the the advantage that putting up silage hay really gives us is, uh, you know, we can get a forecast pretty correct in three days, trying to extend that out five, six, seven days. Um, you know, we can all have our, our words we use for, for weathermen, but it's really hard to get out to that five to seven day window. Uh, two or three days, we're, we're accurate a lot of the time. So when you're putting up silage hay, it gives you the ability to put that hay up in that shorter window because, um, you know, we're not having to dry that hay down um, as long. So it gives us the ability to get in and get out uh, in, in that window uh, to where we're getting that rain, you know, on your next cut and pay. So you talked about that weather window. How much on average do you see that reduced when someone transitions to silage? You know, that that's a good question, and I'll answer it as it depends. There's a lot of variables. Number one, heat. So, you know, a lot of times in the spring, you know, we're bailing at 75 degrees uh, as opposed to 85 or 90 in summer. Your heat, um, your humidity, you know, your, your ground moisture, all that kind of plays into it. I'm going to say, in my experience, you know, if you're talking about um, winter crops, uh, so rye, wheat, anything like that, I'm going to say a minimum of 24 hours. You know, so you're going to cut it one day, uh, you know, bail it the next. Like I said, now that could be extended a little bit, you know, if you're you're cloudy. um, But a lot of times, you know, cut it the day before, bail it the next day. So you're getting that window down to 24, you know, 36 hours. Now you extend that into, uh, you know, late spring, early summer, and that crop, you know, is more mature and, and it may not have as much moisture even standing. Uh, I've even seen where you cut it in the morning um, after lunch, you're bailing it and you're in and out of there in one day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know there's some variables in there, but it just really depends on, you know, the type of crop, uh, you know, your weather conditions and the time of year. You talked about different moisture levels there and different timing. Can you take me through the difference in a wet bale and a dry bale? Traditionally, dry hay, we really want to be below that 18% mark. You know, I always say 14% is the ideal moisture 
uh, content in a dry bale. At 14%, I would be comfortable putting it in, in a barn. You know, outside, you can probably be- leave a round bale outside 18% moisture to be the rain. Uh, much more than that, we're really running into, um, running into you know, mold, uh, you know, or, or even have a, a dusty bit on that hay. So when, when we transition to silage hay, the window is actually pretty large. You know, you know, I've seen some pretty good silage hay put up at 30% moisture. Me personally, I really like to see um, under 60% moisture. So that's a pretty good range there, really. Uh, and, and if a guy is new to it, what I tell him, if he's in a beef cattle operation, I tell him to shoot for 50-50. Because it's a, if you are wrong on either side of that, uh, you're still going to put up good quality silage hay. You know, 60% is probably the magic number moisture range, 40% dry matter. Um, that's probably going to be, uh, you know, some of your best quality. But there's still good, good silage hay put up in that 50 and 40% moisture ranges. Like we talked about earlier, that gets you the ability to, you know, that hay, it dries down a lot quicker down to that that range than it does trying to get it all the way down to that 14, 15% range. You're talking 40 to 60 being an ideal range. What happens on the lower end of that and kind of that no man's land between dry hay and silage? And then what happens north of 60%? Sure, that's a, that's a good question. So when we get on the dry end of that, the cattle will still eat it, but you, you could get some dust or even some light mold in there. And, and then vice versa, when you get on the, the north end of that, say you get to that 70, 75% moisture range, you start creating a different type of acid that does not make good quality hay. And actually, it is, if you get too wet, it's not even palatable and not even your cattle cannot even eat that. So I really try to stress to get into that, uh, you know, into that range we talked about, you know, that 40 to 60 percent range, um, because if we have too much water in there, uh, you know, you're not going to create a good product. Now, we're wrapping this. How important is the timing on getting the wrap on the bale? I've always said within about eight hours uh, of the time from the time it's bailed. And so depending on what kind of wrapper you have for, you know, individual versus inline, um, you know, you, you need to either get that hay to the wrapper or bring the wrapper to the bale. And, you know, and what we're trying to do here <clears throat> is when we wrap that hay it, is, you know, cut off the oxygen supply. So, you know, the bacteria that's left, it converts those starches to sugars, uh, creating a lactic acid. Um, you know, and that lactic acid uh, formed during fermentation, it doesn't really change the quality, but it really preserves the quality crop that you have there. You know, most grass um, is going to be high protein at some point in its life. The challenge is a lot of times you can't harvest it in that window because of weather like we're talking about. So this uh, putting up silage gives you the ability to get in there you know, several weeks earlier than normal. Uh, to get it at that optimal quality. I want to put an exclamation point on quality here. Do people notice a difference in quality? I have seen some you know, some wheat and some oat hay push alfalfa quality by putting up correctly in silage hay. You know, you're bumping that 24, 25% protein on, um, you know, on some wheat and oat hay. So the advantage to that is you have to feed less byproducts to your cattle. So say you're in a you know, beef cattle operation, you have to feed you know, less cubes, less byproducts. Uh, because your hay is so much higher in, in protein, um, you don't have to feed as much of it. So you know, you, you're already um, putting fertilizer out. You're already um, going through the process. You're just taking advantage 
of when that grass is the highest quality. So because you're getting in there and getting on that crop when it's at its optimum, can you talk about the other benefits that you get from that besides the timing and avoiding the, the weather damage? Yeah. So, you know, depending on the crops you're in, say, say you are in an alfalfa, you know, you're going to get a lot better leaf retention because we're not letting that crop dry down too much. And we're also getting, uh, you know, a hundred percent of what we're bailing. So when you um, take that crop to the wrapper, we wrap that hay, you know, you pull it out um, that winter, there, there's no, uh, you know, no bad spots on the bottom, um, no, um, no waste. You're getting 100% of what you put into that bale. And what about palatability? Yeah, so the palatability, uh, you know, is a lot greater because um, that, that crop is, uh, you know, is softer. Um, you know, we don't get dried down too much. Cattle really like the moisture content in that hay, uh, and you're going to get a lot better consumption out of that bale, uh, whether you're feeding, you know, beef or dairy cattle. What does someone need as far as equipment goes for putting up silage hay? You know, I like to ask producers a couple questions. You know, what, what's your bale count you're trying to put up? If you're going to do two, 300 bales a year in silage hay, um, you can take your normal um, dry baler and we can add a kit to it, uh, you know, to help um, with some buildup. Uh, but, but you can bale some silage hay, you know, no problem. Now, you start telling me you're wanting to put up, you know, bumping 1,000, maybe 2,000 bales of silage hay. I'm sure going to try to push you in, uh, into a, a true silage bearer, what we call it. And at Vermeer, um, you know, our, our silage bearers are 604 Pro and 504 Pro, so depending on, um, you know, how big of a bale you want. And th- these bearers just have some features and benefits that are really going to help you if you're putting up, uh, you know, a little bit higher volume of silage hay. The number one thing that, that both of them do that you notice right off the bat is density. And, and density, to me, is the biggest issue when you're talking about quality, because we're trying to get all the oxygen out of that bale. Doubling back on that moisture range that we talked about, is the struggle in that no man's land between dry hay and silage that the hay's at that 20% moisture, it's dry enough to be fluffy where you can't get the oxygen out and that's where you have problems? Yes, good good point, yes. So when you get to that point, it is harder to compact that hay to where it, it is harder to get all the oxygen out. But probably what producers will notice more than that is it's harder to bale. When you're in that no man's land there, it is difficult for that crop to flow through the baler. And it's going to be a lot uh, tackier, or stickier. Mm-hmm. And you will have a harder time um, having that crop, that windrow flow into your baler. Um, so you'll have more, uh, more opportunity to, to plug, I would say. And that's where when you go to our, our, our pro series of baler, um, it's got a feed floor in it that actually, if you do plug that baler, you simply open the feed floor, you know, the, the, the plug uh, ingests into the baler and you go back to baling in a matter of seconds. Everything is in the monitor in the cab there. That's going to be, you know, one of the, the advantages of stepping up to that true silage baler in our pro series is getting those plugs out in a timely manner and going back to baler. Now, what about reducing the particle size with a pre-cutter system? Good point. So you talked about palatability earlier with this Pro Series. We have what we call our uh, extra cut 17 knife chopper system. So we have the ability to run 17, 8, 9, or or no knives, you know, depending on on what you want. Chopping that hay down really does several things. Number one, it allows us uh, to put more product 
into a, a bale of hay, put more hay into a smaller package. So we talked about density. So when we chop it, we're actually going to create better density and get more of the oxygen out of that bale. Uh, number two, you know, you asked about palatability earlier. When we talk about putting it up in silage hay where you got higher moisture content, you're chopping that hay, you're going to have a lot more palatable product. So th- those cattle are not going to sift through those long stalks near as much. Uh, and they're, they're going to clean up and have a lot better consumption in that bale, depending on how you're feeding it. You know, even if you're just putting it, say you're a cow-calf guy and you're just putting it out in a bale ring, they're going to clean that hay up a lot better when you have it chopped. Say you're a feedlot or, or in a dairy and you're putting it in a mixer wagon, um, you're going to save a lot of time on mixing that bale because when you take the net wrap off, you know, that hay is going to fall apart more like real silage to where it's already in a chopped form. Can you take me through Vermeer's line of balers from dry hay to silage hay? Yes, sir. In our 4x5 line, we have our 504R series, and that comes in several different trim levels. So classic, signature, and premium, depending on um, depending on the options and features you want. Same thing when we get to our, our six-foot-tall balers, our 604Rs. So four-foot wide by six-foot tall, we have a 604R classic, signature, and premium. Same thing, you know, depending on the trim level uh, and horsepower range. Um, and when we get to that premium one, we have it comes standard with a silage kit. We speed that baler up a little bit, and we put the silage kit on it. So if a guy is, uh, you know, wanting to bale a lot of volume of hay, and he's and he's wanting to bale some silage hay with that baler, that's going to be a perfect option because um, being that it spins faster. Um, it's going to handle those heavier wind rows a lot better. We put a little bit of heavier density system on there, so you're going to get a tighter bale. Uh, so if that's, uh, you know, silage hay is something you're starting out in, um, you bale a lot of dry hay and want to get into some silage hay, you know, that baler is going to fit really good into your, uh, into your lineup. Now, say you go a step farther than that and you're putting up a little bit more silage hay, say you're 50-50 um, silage hay to dry hay, <clears throat> that's where that 504 Pro or 604 Pro. And same thing, the numbers always mean something. So five foot tall uh, or six foot tall bale by four foot wide. And that's the baler that has the pre cutter and the chopper system in it. And that baler is just made a lot heavier uh, than our other balers. So the bearings are heavier, the rollers are heavier because it's going to take those heavy bales uh, day in and day out. So you're going to get more longevity out of that baler. Um, you're going to get the pre-cutting system out of that baler, and you're going to get the drop floor to where, you know, if you do plug, you're not digging the baler out. You simply open the floor, uh, ingest the plug into the baler, and you're back baling in a matter of seconds. It sounds to me like there's quite the range, and it depends on how much silage you're doing. Yes, it really does. And, you know, I tell producers, you know, when you're starting out in the silage, Let's start smaller, kind of get our feet wet into it before we jump all in. There's a lot of benefits to silage hay, for sure. There is more after you're done baling with hauling the hay to the wrapper or bringing the wrapper to the bale and moving the hay. So, you know, what I tell people is let's not cut uh, maybe as much as we normally do. Kind of get a feel for what the field's going to make, what the crop's going to make. Um, and get a feel for the process. You know, if you're using a inline wrapper and you're hauling all that hay to the wrapper, um, you know, you're going to have to, uh, you know, have trailers, you know, hauling the hay, loaders, unloading it, you know, somebody on the wrapper. So there's a little bit more that goes into it. And so, you know, I just want to make sure producers um, have a good experience 
And so I try to tell them, let's back up how many acres we cut compared to dry hay and get a feel for it. And then as you, as you kind of know how many bales an acre it's going to make, we can start stepping that up. So what I just heard you say in all of that, that moisture range really matters. The ideal range is 40 to 60%. You want to get those bales wrapped in inside of eight hours. And to get to where you can do that, where you can get the right moisture range and where you can get those bales wrapped within eight hours, you need to ease into that process and practice a little bit. Yes. I've seen it before where you're in, say, an early season, like a, a wheat or a rye, and get some good rains, and you go to start baling, it's making four bales to the acre. So if we had gone and laid down, you, you know, 100 acres, well, you know, you're going to have a long day and night ahead of you wrapping 400 bales. So, uh, you know, where if we had started with, you know, 10 or 20 acres, it's a lot more achievable, and you can figure out where your moisture range is on that crop. So that way, you know, it needs to lay for 24 hours to get to that 60% moisture. Okay, perfect. Um, where if you had laid down, uh, you know, say that 100 acres, you may start at that 60% range, but by the time you're done, you're going to be lower and maybe even that 20 or 30% moisture range at the end. It's as much for practice with the newer producers, but it's also to keep that hay in that window, uh, you know, that moisture window we're trying to get into and not letting it get too dry on the backside. One last thought that I want to share. I've done a little bit of this. I made marshmallow bales a couple of years ago on my alfalfa field. What I found is I was able to get in on that field, knock it down in two pieces because I, I took smaller bites than I normally would. Normally, I'd just knock the whole field down if I was making dry hay. I did just exactly what you said. I cut it in two pieces instead of one, got in there, got it wrapped, and we were done in a long weekend, three, call it three days, and we had the water back on the field. In a first cutting situation for me, I'm usually putting up that first cutting in June. I, I farm in South Canada here. I'm about 40 miles south of the Canadian border. Where I could get that first cutting off and know that it wasn't going to get rained on, and get the irrigation back on it, I figure I gained four or five days or maybe a week of additional growth on my alfalfa, and I didn't have tire tracks going across that alfalfa field five and six and seven days later when that alfalfa plant was starting to regrow its stems. So one of the big things that I noticed is I gained a few extra days of growth. I also didn't have any tire tracks in my second cutting because I wasn't damaging the plants as they were trying to regrow the stems. Yeah, that's a perfect example of what I try to tell producers. You know, depending, um, you know, down here in, in central Texas, a little bit different in southern Canada there. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, a lot of times we may be ready to cut and we are delayed a week or two weeks because of rain. You know, when you need to get that first cutting off of there, say you're in, uh, you know, coastal Bermuda grass, you're trying to get that first cutting off of there mid-May, uh, but you get pushed back to the first of June or even the middle of June. If we were putting that first cutting up in silage hay, we could get in, get out of there. Like you said, less tire tracks on the field, get better regrowth and faster regrowth. That rain is coming on your second cutting or your next cutting of hay that you needed on, not the one that's already ready. You add that to, to the end of the cutting in, in the fall, same thing. Um, you know, that crop's ready, but we're going to have five days to dry it out. If you start adding those days together, 
I've seen people actually add an additional cutting to their crop by taking a couple weeks here at the beginning, take two or three days here in, in the middle by putting this one up in silage hay. Um, you know, you're going to add an additional cutting there at the, end, at the end of that season. It really gives you more options, uh, you know, as a hay producer of, um, you know, I, I need to get in here now. The weather's not really cooperating. Um, we just need a 24, 36-hour window to get in and get it out. Uh, that way, you are, uh, you know, you're back putting fertilizer on and, like you said, getting, getting water, getting rain on your next cutting, uh, not the one that's already made. When I think about silage, haylage, I think about a really good management tool. Not something that I want to switch, maybe if we're talking three or 4,000 round bales a year, dry hay production, I wouldn't want to switch all of that over. But I would probably put a lot of thought into some of those early cuttings where the weather's more variable or late cuttings. Rather, I'm just going to say anywhere where the weather is more variable, there's probably room for some silage in the operation, haylage in the operation. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, here in Texas, we grow all different varieties of crops. You know, I like to remind people, you know, a, a lot of times our best quality is going to be the early, like we talked about, um, the, the wheat, the oats, the ryegrass, and, and then you come into uh, summertime, and we do a lot of um, sedan and sorghum here in central Texas as well. Um, if anybody's ever bailed that, the, the tonnage is second to none. Um, you know, I've seen it make seven, eight, nine bales to the acre. The challenge is, like you just talked about, is I've also seen it sit on the ground for 10 days at a time mm-hmm. because you cannot get that stalk uh, dried out. Well, if you come in there and you let it sit maybe for two days, um, get down to that 60% moisture range we're talking about, bale it for silage hay, get it wrapped, get it off your field, you know, less, less tire tracks on the field like you talked about. Um, you've got that cutting off of there, and we're getting regrowth on the next cutting. So <laughs> it fits really good into, uh, in my opinion, in any of the um, any type of cultivated ground. Uh, fits really good there. Uh, but then again, to our traditional, um, you know, Bermuda and native grasses, beginning and the end when your weather's not optimal. In the middle of the season, you know, if, if it's 90, 95 degrees, um, yeah, we have an easy time drying out hay. But it's in that, you know, that April range and then that October range um, where the days are getting short. Yeah. So, you know, even if you do have some heat units, you don't have the, the length of the days you normally would in the summertime. Um, it just gives you options. And it gives you another um, tool in your tool belt there to, to go in there and harvest that crop uh, when you want to versus uh, when Mother Nature allows you to. I want to say thank you for all of this. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. I've had a history of putting up hay. work for a company now that we, we build equipment that can help producers reach their goals of putting up the, the quality of hay that they achieve. Thank you, John. Thank you.